The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. The scripture reading for this morning is found in Exodus 5, 1 through 11, and 19 through 23. If you have one of the Bibles under your chair, it's going to be on page 33. It's also going to be on the screen. Starting with Exodus 5, 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, and they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with the pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it, and pay no regards to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says the Pharaoh, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get straw yourselves wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. And then 23, I'm sorry, 19 through 23. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. This reading of God's word. You guys can be seated. Good morning, guys. Hey, for us, that's awesome. I'll take that. Um, let's, let's pray. We'll get rolling this morning. Uh, Father, I pray for us this morning as we open your word, as we've heard from your word already, that uh, you would help us to learn from it, that you would help us to uh, see you in it. Father, as we've already mentioned before, uh, we're coming in here from all kinds of different weeks and backgrounds, and uh, God, each of us, we need you to speak to us specifically where we are, and I pray that you would do that this morning. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher, you're the leader. I pray that you would uh, speak to each of us, including me this morning, as we um, look at your word, and I pray that you would glorify the Son, Jesus Christ for our good and for his glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, I mean, like pretty much any amount of time, then you know what it's like to leave the mountaintop, right? I mean, you, you're up on the, your mountain and you you're spent some time with God. Maybe it was a, an awesome Sunday morning at Doxa, right? Or maybe it was like a, a conference or, uh, you know, just 
a special time with God. Like maybe like you're even in your car. Like, isn't it funny how we're in our cars and we think that people don't see? It's, I just find that very hilarious. So people, we don't think people see us in our cars. So like, like that's where picking our noses happen, and that's where like people will be singing and drumming in their car. Maybe you just had a really, a really awesome time that to that track that really gets you going, and you really like feel God's presence. And and in those times, like we like we're like we're ready to like go, man, and we're like ready to charge out of there, like William Wallace, like charging down the hill. Like we're ready to get it on. Like we're like woo! I'm gonna I'm gonna do exactly what God told me to do, and we're just running with it, right? And maybe it's like um, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe maybe for you it's like you leave a marriage conference and you're like, yes, we're gonna have an awesome marriage. We're gonna start every morning doing our devotion and we're gonna pray together. Or maybe it's like parenting, like, man, I'm gonna be a better parent. Or, or, and so you're like, man, I am not going to do all the stuff I was doing before. I'm gonna be a good parent. And you're like, you're getting all charged up. Or maybe it's something simple, like, man, I'm gonna read my Bible every day or I'm gonna pray. Like, you are ready to roll. And, and that's kind of what happened to Moses. Like, he had an actual, literal mountaintop experience with God. There was like a bush and a fire, and it didn't burn up, and it was the angel of the Lord in the middle of the bush. He hung out with God. He met him. He saw him almost as if it were face-to-face. God told him what his name was. And then he comes down from the mountain and like God told him, here's what's gonna happen. Aaron, your brother, he's on his way from Egypt and you're gonna meet him and you're gonna go to Egypt and you're gonna tell the, the, tell the people about what, exactly what I've told them and they're gonna believe you. And then you're gonna go to Pharaoh and he's gonna have a hard heart, but then he's gonna let your people go and it's gonna be awesome. And so Moses is like, yeah, let's go. And so he comes down the mountain and maybe he's a little bit scared at first, but he meets Aaron like, hey, what God said is true. And so he's like, oh, but this is pretty cool. And so he gets Aaron and he gets into Egypt and they meet with the Israelites, and believe it or not, he preaches to the Israelites. He does the what he tells, says the words God told him to say. He does the things God told him to do, and it says the Israelites believed. Can you imagine what Moses would have been feeling like after that? He'd be like, hey, "This is pretty cool. This is happening right now. Exactly what God said was going to do. Like it's like you when you get home from a conference. And you're like, man, your, your first day. You're like, oh man, I'm in the Word. And it's so sweet and it's awesome. Or you, 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 or you come home with a wife and you're like, you're just like twinkling in each other's eyes. And you're just like, oh, everything's just like you know, there's bluebirds flying around your head, and it's just so sweet. Like it is like almost like there's like little hearts popping up whenever you look at each other, and your your hearts fluttering again. You're like, oh man, this is great. And then like. But then, just a couple of days later, the wheels fall off, right? You open the Bible, and it's like, blech. And the next day, you're like, I'll just make coffee first. Then you forget all about it. Or that woman, that man who looked so attractive coming back from that marriage conference, all of a sudden, you roll over one morning, and their breath just irritates you, just right off the bat. <laughs> you, you, you get out of the bed, and their shoes are all over the floor, and you're like, who is this person? There's no hollow hearts popping up all over. Moses has this awesome time with God. He meets with the people they believe. And then it says the next thing that happened is that he somehow got in front of Pharaoh. So think what Moses must be thinking. Hey, this is going to be good. Everything God said. I mean, I, I met with God on the side of a mountain. I I saw the angel of the Lord in the fire. God said Aaron was going to be there, and he was. He said to preach to the people, and they would believe, and they did. 
Now I'm going to go to Pharaoh, the mightiest, most powerful man on the face of the earth, and I'm going to tell him, let my people go. Can you imagine how excited he was to do this and see God do something amazing? And he stands in front of Pharaoh and he says, let my people go because the God of the Israelites, Yahweh, has said to do this, the Lord. When you see the Lord, that's what he's saying, Yahweh. And Pharaoh says, I don't know this Yahweh you're speaking of. In case you've forgotten, I am the Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And I'm not going to have some stinking Hebrew slave come in here and tell me to let my free labor go. In fact, if you even have the time to think of this stupid scheme, then you have too much time on your hands. Sort of like as a kid when you overplay your hand and you go to your parents and you ask them for something. You're like, oh, well, if you have enough time to think about this deal, you don't, have a, you, you, don't, you don't have enough chores. You don't have enough homework. You need to get back in there. And it kicks Moses in the rear end and the people because he says, look, you must not have enough time. You must have too much time on your hands. You must not have enough work. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to let you go. You're not going to go out and have this feast with this God who I've never heard of before. But you're going to keep on making bricks. You're going to make just as many bricks as you've always made. And I'm not going to deliver straw to you anymore. You have to find your own straw. And so Moses, who all of a sudden, before he was feeling like, he, like God is moving and he's gonna be, this thing is going to be awesome, all of a sudden, the wheels start to fall off. And it seems like exactly the opposite is happening of what he expected to happen. He goes back out and says, guys, here's what he said we're going to have to do. And the people scrounge and work. It says they have to, to go around and find stubble. They searched the whole countryside as far as they could go and find as much stubble as they could to try to keep the brick production up. Of course, the brick production can't stay up, and so the foremen of the people are being mistreated and beaten. They appear before Pharaoh, and they ask for help, and he says, look, Moses and Aaron already messed this thing up for you guys. And so when they walk out of the palace, and Moses and Aaron are waiting there, say, hey, what is Pharaoh saying? They said, you have messed this thing royally up for us. We wish you had never come here. Cursed be you for coming here. And all of a sudden, Moses, who just a few days before was probably the most popular Israelite on the block, all of a sudden, he's hated by the Egyptians, and he's hated by the Israelites, and he's all alone, and he's wondering, what the heck is going on, God? And in fact, he says, he blames God, he says, it's just beautifully honest, isn't it? How many of you guys have prayed a prayer like this? Maybe about your marriage, maybe about your kids, maybe about your job, maybe about the church that you're at. Maybe the, you started doing something that you thought God had called you to do. And in verse 22, Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Maybe you've been there. 
and you come down from the mountaintop experience and you start to roll with what you think God has called you to do. And everything seems to go in the opposite direction. What do we do then? We usually ask questions like, did I miss something? Did you really tell me to do this? God, did you miss something? Should I stop? Should I continue? Should I change my trajectory? What's, what's going on here? God, this, this thing I thought you had called me to do, it's not getting better. It's only getting worse. What do you do? I'm not a pilot, but uh, I've heard stories about there's, there's these two, uh, two main uh, ways to fly a plane that's governed by the FAA. One is called visual flight rules. And that's where it's just like you're driving a car and you look out and you see where you're going and you're flying the plane and you look out, you can see that's where I'm heading. There's a storm coming up here. There's a mountain over here. Uh, you know, you can see what's going on. The second set of rules is what's called instrument flight rules or IFR. And that means that if you're in a storm, you're in clouds, you're in cover, you can't see what's going on, they'd say you can't trust your visual clues anymore. They said there are times where you're in a cloud or you're in a storm and you can't see what's going on and you're looking out of the windshield of the plane and everything that you see is telling you, I'm upside down, I'm going the wrong direction, I'm, actually, I'm going down, I'm going up, I, I, I'm, this, is, this thing is wrong. They have stories of, of pilots who come out of clouds who are flying upside down. Pilots who are coming out of clouds who are heading down or heading way, going the totally wrong direction because when you're in there and you can't see what's going on, you're trusting your eyes and your eyes will lie to you. They say instead, when you're in a situation like that, you have to fly by your instruments. You need to know what you're looking for in the dashboard in front of you that tells you, I'm going in the right direction. This is the way I'm going. And no matter what I see out here, I have to keep my trajectory on this dashboard, not what I see around me. And it's the same way for us when we're trying to determine what is God calling us to do? Or what do I do when what I feel God is calling me to do when it seems like everything's going the opposite direction? This morning we're gonna see really quick, we're gonna see two faulty instruments from this passage that we use to judge success and then the way that God tells us to judge success. We're going to see two faulty instruments. We're going to see the way that God calls us to judge success. The first way we generally judge success is by the faulty instrument of results, of results. See, for, for Moses, by every measure, the free the people thing seemed to be a failure. Not only did the thing that God sent him to do, free his people, not happen, but the opposite happened. Things got worse. The first place that things got worse is when Moses standing in front of Pharaoh, his enemy, he faces overwhelming opposition from his own enemy. Pharaoh has all the power. Moses has really no power in the situation. He's just a Hebrew, one of the Hebrew slaves. And when he faces Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, not only am I not going to do what you said to do, I'm going to go, I'm going to up the ante, you're going to work harder. It's a very clever political move by Pharaoh because he knows that's going to put a wedge between Moses and his people. If they say, hey, this Moses leader guy isn't helping us, he's actually hurting us, maybe the people will just forget this thing altogether. Moses faces overwhelming opposition from the enemy. And he had to be asking the same questions that you and I ask 
whenever we're in a situation, we're following what we think God has called us to do, but it seems to be going the opposite direction. We ask, where is God here? Have you ever asked that about a situation maybe in a relationship or your job? Maybe you moved to a place because you thought that's where God told you to go or you're part of a church and you thought that's what God told you to do but it's not working out like you hoped. Your marriage, you try to, you keep trying to like put pennies in, you keep trying to put money and time and effort into this marriage but it seems to just have a, a bottomless hole. It's not going anywhere. You have an addiction issue and no matter what you try to do, it keeps getting worse. You keep falling off the wagon more and more and it gets worse and worse every time. And we ask, where is God here? Did we misunderstand God? Moses had to be wondering, did I, did I mess it up? Did I not do this in the right way? Maybe God, because we originally see that God told him to appear before Pharaoh with the elders of the people, but we don't see any mention of the elders. We don't know if that means they weren't there, if they refused to go, were they too scared? We don't know. But maybe he's thinking, maybe, maybe if I came with the elders, then things would have worked out right. And maybe you think that sometimes, right? I think that too. Like when things start going wrong in my life, I think, man, maybe if I had just read my Bible every day this week. I mean, I know that's not true, but in my mind, I'm thinking maybe I don't have the right combination on the lock that makes this thing work. Did I not do it in the right way? I bet Moses was wondering, is this, is this thing gonna blow up in my face? Have you ever wondered that? You make a big move, a big dream, you start a business, you start a church, it doesn't work out, the thing whole whole thing is just going to blow up in your face? I wonder if Moses is wondering at this point, did he just dream this whole thing up? Did he just imagine there was the fire and the bush and everything? Moses faced overwhelming opposition from his enemy, but also Moses faced violent opposition from his own friends. Even if he trusts God, things have gotten worse for his people. They curse him. Have you ever felt that? Maybe in a, with your children or with your parents. Maybe there's been a broken relationship with a friend or a, a spouse. And you try to make the effort and they turn on you. Moses feels alone. Moses probably is embarrassed. And Moses probably feels a little bit stupid at this point. And maybe you felt that way. And that's where Moses has that section we just read where he blames God. Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. You have not done what I, you said you're gonna do. You have not done what I thought you were going to do. God, I've poured into this marriage. I've poured into this relationship. I've poured into this church. I've poured into this business. I've poured into this thing that I felt that you called me to do, and it just doesn't seem to be working out. We often judge what God has called us to do by the faulty instrument of results just like Moses. And then we often judge success with a faulty instrument of timing. 
even though God told, see, before all this happened, God told Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh, and he's not going to listen. He's going to have a hard heart and a hard neck, and I'm going to have to force him to let the people go. But even though God had told Moses that, he still blames God for not delivering his people because Moses thought this was going to be the time. We want God to answer immediately because we've mixed up who is serving who or who is serving whom. We want God to answer immediately because we've mixed up who is serving whom. Moses wants God to answer right now because he looks stupid. Because Pharaoh is opposing him and he looks bad to his people. And his people hate him. And his people are suffering. But that's not what God's idea of timing is. God's idea of timing rarely lines up with our idea. God's going to free the people. He's just going to do it on a different timeline than Moses wants it to be. Or even the people want it to be. We often judge what God has called us to do by the faulty instrument of timing. But when we don't see the results that we want in the time that we desire, what do we do? If those are the wrong kind of instruments, if that's us looking out of the dash of the, of the windshield, trying to figure out where the horizon is and where we're heading and what's going on, and that's faulty, those things lie to us. Because see, we had the benefit of hindsight being 2020, right? Most of us knows what happens in this story. We say, Moses, just trust God. It's, it's gonna take a while. There's gonna be 10 plagues, and then you're gonna get to get out of there. But we see from the backward to the beginning, but we don't see our life like that. Moses doesn't see his life like that at this time. At this time, Moses is having a crisis of faith, just like you and I have a crisis of faith when we're trying to obey and do what God called us to do, and it's not working out the way that we thought it should in the timing that we thought it should happen. So what do we do when we're not, if we want to try to tell if we're flying in the right direction? We have to fly by the instrument panel, and the instrument panel is something different than timing or results. The instrument panel is three parts. Stick with me on this. It's a long, hopeful obedience. There's three dials. one dial with three different parts of one dial if you want to get in that, that dial, three different readings in this one thing. I don't fly. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Just stick with me and pretend, <laughs> pretend this thing works. Pretend this analogy works, all right? There's one instrument, three dials on the instrument, a long, hopeful obedience. That's the instrument that we have to fly by, not by results or timing. What does this look like? Well, first of all, there are certain things that we know that God has called us to do because he's explicit in his word and in our circumstances. All right? So stick with me. So uh, how many of here, you are married? Raise your hand. Guess what? God has called you to be a husband or a wife to your spouse. You don't have to wonder about that. If you're a husband, God has called you to love your wife sacrificially the way Christ loved the church. There's no argument or wondering about that. That's what God has called you to do. If you're a wife, God has called you to lovingly and supportingly submit to your husband, yet in a, there's a quality, there's a difference in roles. You can talk to me later if you want to talk about that. How many of you here are a parent? You have children. Guess what? God has called you to be a loving, godly parent to your kids. 
You don't have to wonder about that. God's called you to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God has called you to sacrifice for them. God has called you to love them and not to provoke them to anger. That's what God has called you to do. How many in here are are a child. Everybody's hands should be raised on this. Anybody a child? I don't mean like a little kid, but you're, you're a, you have a parent. Anybody here have a parent or have had a parent at some point? That should be everybody if you're paying attention. Guess what? God has called you to love and honor your parents. Anybody here an employee? Anybody an employee? Guess what? God has called you to be a responsible, loving employee to your employer, to act with integrity to them to view what your work is not working for your employer, but rather working for God. And some of you, that's very hard because your employer doesn't look or act anything like God. But God says, they're not the one who signed the paycheck. He's the one that's ultimately signed the paycheck. You're working for him. Anybody here a boss? You employ people? Guess what? God has called you to be a, a loving man or woman of integrity to the people who work for you and represent him and a sacrificial kind of love, and a sacrificial kind of bossdom, where they don't live to serve you, you, the greatest, serve them and sacrifice for them. Anybody here a neighbor? Guess what God called us to do? Love and serve our neighbor. You guys heard of the story of the Good Samaritan? The Samaritan did some crazy stuff for that person. That's what God's called us to do. If you're a Christian, God's called you to live a life devoted to the mission that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that everyone that, is, uh, that you come in contact with, with, with would hear and see the good news of the grace of God that's been shown to us in Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, he's called you to live a holy life. He's called you to pray without ceasing. He's called you to study to show yourself approved. He's called us to bear each other's burdens and called us to love one another. There's certain things that just, we don't have to wonder if God has called us to. We know it because of our circumstances circumstances and his explicit instructions in his word. That's what God has called you to. So guess what? If God has called you in one of those areas, he's called, he's called you to a long, hopeful obedience in each of those areas. Regardless of what results happen, regardless of what the horizon looks like around you, no matter how the storm clouds around you look like, he's called us to a long, hopeful obedience in the same direction. Now, what about things that aren't explicit? What about like, should I start a business? Or which person should I marry? Or what church should I go to? Or should I take this job? Should I move here or do this? How do we judge like what God's calling us to do? Well, just real quick, here's four things that can help you. We don't have time to go in this very deeply. There's four things that can help you. Number one, what is in, in accordance with wisdom? And here's the definition of wisdom that we're going to work with here. Wisdom is a combination of bi biblical principles and biblical people. Wisdom is biblical principles and biblical people. So God hasn't told you whether to start this business yet or not. Or God hasn't told you to marry Amy rather than Susie, right? But there are certain uh, parameters that got principles that God has set up in his word 
to help us make decisions. And if it fits within the confines of that, those biblical principles, and we're gonna get that in a second, it's open for you to do. But we don't trust ourselves, right? How many of you guys have done something? Well, you don't have to raise your hands on this one, but how many of you guys have done something that you thought God was telling you to do? And later on down the line, it was proven that was not what God was telling you to do. And everybody around you said, yeah, we thought you were crazy doing it. It didn't seem like a God thing. You're like, why didn't you tell me at the time? You could have saved me a lot of heartache and problems, right? So it's not just us like trusting ourselves in biblical wisdom, but it's also surrounding ourselves with biblical people. People who have immersed themselves in the Bible, who've been uh, learning more and more how God thinks about things, and you ask them, you invite them into your life, you invite them into your decision process, and say, what do you think about this? And not just one person that you think is gonna agree with you, but two, three, four, five, as many people as you possibly can that are godly, biblical people, and ask them, Where are you, what do you think about this? Wisdom is the first guide in things that aren't explicit. Secondly, is godly desire. Look, this is something that Megan and I have dealt with. So Megan and I, uh, we've dealt with infertility. We've uh, been pregnant uh, five times. We've had one child. And so we're trying to decide what do we do? Like, do we keep trying? Do we adopt a child? Like, what, what do we want to do? It's not, there's no clear answer, right? You can't open the scripture and he says, Randy and Megan, I want you to adopt. Or Randy and Megan, I want you to keep trying. So we follow wisdom, biblical principles. We surround ourselves with biblical people. And here's what we know. The desire to have children is a godly, beautiful thing. And so we make a decision based upon a godly desire and based upon biblical principles. We said we're going to adopt a child that ended up being Landon. We're making a decision now to perhaps adopt another child. No, there's no answer. There's no fire that's going to tell us whether or not to do that, but it's a godly desire that we have, and it's in accordance with the biblical wisdom. Number three, so it's wisdom, godly desire, and then third, opportunity. Do you have an opportunity to do this? Is there an opening? When I was trying to decide whether I'm gonna start my business, I had a desire, I surrounded my people, I am slow to make big decisions, as Dale knows. It took a long time, everybody was like, why are you even talking about this anymore? Just do it. But I waited until I had an opportunity, and I took the opportunity, and I ran with it. And the fourth thing, wisdom, godly desire, opportunity, the fourth thing is providence. We talked about that a few weeks back, that God opens doors and God closes doors. And we trust God that he, if you're a child of God, that he'll be the good shepherd that will lead us even when we, we don't know what way we should go for certain. When we stand at the fork in the road and we're looking ahead and like, man, I don't know whether to go this way or that way. We ask the wisdom question. We ask a desire, is there opportunity? And then we just make a decision and go with it and trust that God, if he doesn't want us to go down that way, he is God and he will redirect us in a different way if he wants to. We pick a course and we hold it. My mom helped train me for that. Man, if you were a kid in our household and she said, uh, you made a decision, you had to stick with that decision. You didn't, it didn't matter if you regretted it, if it was a bad decision, even if she regretted it. She said, you pick a course and you hold that course. And because of that, we keep watching our instruments. Long, hopeful obedience, we're getting there in a second. 
not their horizon, because that will lie to us. And along the way, we've got to remind ourselves that God is God, and we're not. He's doing things that we can't hope to understand in the background. I remember as a kid, maybe you guys had this uh, as well. I don't know if I've told the story or not before, but just if you've heard it, just pretend I didn't. I was sitting in the back seat of our uh, whatever it was, Caprice Classic. You guys remember those? Those are big old cars, a gold Caprice, Cla- Caprice Classic. And I'm sitting back in the back, and Dad's driving. And I'm, you know, I don't know how old I was, five years old, maybe six. And, and, and I'm sitting back there, and I'm watching Dad drive, and I'm trying to figure out how does he make the car go forward and backwards? Because I can't figure out. And then I can figure out like how he makes it turn because I can see the wheel go this direction. But how does he make it speed up and how does he make it slow down? And I would spend every drive trying to figure out how is, how is he doing that? Is he, when he wants to go backwards, when he wants to go in reverse, is he pulling the wheel back and so the, the car goes back? Is he pushing it forward? Like what's, Is there something happening that I'm not seeing? I didn't understand because I, did, I, didn't, I lacked the intellect and I lacked the perspective to see what was going on in the front seat. And that's the way you and I are like in life. There are things going on that we can't see or understand that God is working. And you know what the best thing to do is? Don't be a backseat driver sit back there and let God be God and drive the car. Because you have to remember, the outcome is never in question to God. Think about it. He could change all the circumstances in an instant. God didn't have to make this thing with Pharaoh last as long as it did. There didn't have to be 10 plagues. God could have skipped to the 10th plague, right? God could have changed Pharaoh's heart in the moment. God could have crushed the entire nation of Egypt if he wanted to. God never worried about whether he was going to get his people out or not. God was doing something different. He's doing something more. The same thing in your circumstances and my circumstances. He could change it in a moment your, your difficult marriage, your difficult child, your difficult parent, the broken relationship, the, not sh- the failing business, the whatever it is, he's doing something more. Here's two principles. He's doing something in you, not just for you. God is doing in the difficult circumstances when the results and the timing aren't coming like you want it to, you want it to, God is doing something in you, not just for you. You see, God isn't designing our lives for comfort. He's designing our lives for our good. Think about Romans 8. He works all things for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. It's not your or my definition of good. It's his definition of good. It's for your best. It's like when Landon gets in trouble and he's sassy or he's being rough and we have to say, hey God, no, no iPad time for three days. No candy for three days is what we went through this week. No candy for three days. And his world is just falling apart at the moment and he's sure his life is over and we hate him. And I assure him, though he can't really understand it at five years old, this is for your good. 
for your best in the long run. He's doing something in you, not just for you. And then secondly, he's doing something for his glory, not just by his power. God had designed this situation with Pharaoh in such a way that whenever Pharaoh finally lets the people go, the people and the Israelites nor the Egyptians could say, man, that Moses is a really great politician that engineered the release of these people. Nor did he design it so that they would say, man, these Israelites were really powerful and there were a lot of them and they forced our hand. In the end, there could be only be one explanation as to why the people were freed. And that's because God moved for his glory alone. And that's what God is doing in your circumstance and in my circumstance. He will get the glory for it. Now, let's run through these last minutes. The long, the long obedience, that's how he's working in you. God doesn't feel pushed or rushed. He's playing the long game. So when I'm looking at my, my instrument, I'm saying, it's taking a long time. The answer doesn't seem to be coming. But I'm going to hold course for a long obedience in the same direction. Long is how he's working in you. The fact that it takes time. It doesn't happen in an instant. And obedience is how he's getting the glory. God isn't looking for results. He's looking for obedience. But notice, and we're done. But notice, we didn't just say a long obedience. We said a long, hopeful obedience. Where does the hope come in? Notice what God does after Moses complains and he blames God. God comes back and he reminds him, he reminds him of what he had told Moses on the mountain. And all, most of the next to the rest, the the next chapter, chapter six, is God reminding almost verbatim, word for word, this is what I told you was gonna happen and this is what I told you I'm gonna do. But most of us, we don't have that. We don't have a burning bush and an audible voice and a stick that turns into a snake. Man, that would be nice. Like, if, like we could just remind ourselves, like, hey, I actually saw a fire, or I, I can throw my rod on the ground and it becomes a snake. That reminds me, hey, God's working in this situation. Well, maybe the snake would freak me. The snake would freak me out. I'm not really sure if I'd want to do that. But how can we know for certain? If we should press on and we can press on in the face of opposition from enemies as well as friends. When all our visual cues tell us that we are going to crash and burn in a fiery death. If you're a Christian, you don't look to the mountain like Moses. You look to the hill. You look up on that hill and you see the one who called you to himself gave his life for you. That's how committed he is to seeing you and I through to the end. He has called you. He is committed to seeing you through. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You remember he is working for, your, for his glory and your ultimate good. For we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. 
Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Here the past tense, it is done. It is taken care of. It's not in question. And therefore, we can joyfully pursue a long obedience, a long obedience joyfully. Not that I've already obtained or I've already been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God judges success by a long, hopeful obedience. And we can pursue that. We can keep that course even when the clouds are gathering and the marriage isn't getting better and the business is failing. We can keep the course because we know that the one who has called us is faithful to complete it in the very end. I'm gonna pray. Jamin's gonna come forward and we're gonna have just a, about a minute interlude as we're going to maybe just take a moment to see if God's speaking to you in any particular place this morning. How, have you been judging your life? Have you been deciding whether you're going to keep on with the route that God has called you to keep on by results or timing? Or are we going to hold the course as a church, a long, hopeful obedience in the same direction as I pray, we're gonna, and we head to communion, if you want to spend some time in prayer alone, we have a prayer area over here. You're welcome to go there before, during, or after communion, however you see fit. I'm gonna pray. Father, I pray for us this morning. God, there, I don't wanna make light. There are many of us here who are hurting, struggling. God, there are many of us here that are thinking about giving up. We're thinking about... Uh, all this is over. God, I pray that you would give us hope this morning. That you're just not looking at results. You're calling us to a long, joyful obedience. I pray you would redirect our eyes to the hill, to the one who called us and is so invested in us that he gave us life for us. Let that ring true and real in our hearts. It's in the name of that son we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Obedience can be a, a hard thing, can it? Oftentimes it can be a, a long thing too. And, and that's where we find Moses at the end of uh, chapter 5. He says, why would you even send me to do this? Why would you even call me to obey? And the truth is that the same way in which Moses felt discouraged, that obedience was a long, heavy, weighty thing. One that at times felt like a, a ton of bricks on his back, like a, a board that he couldn't get rid of. The very next chapter, chapter 6, is a whole chapter dedicated to God encouraging Moses to keep going. And so God has that same encouragement for us, too. He says, keep obeying, keep trusting, keep pressing in, keep coming to gather with other believers, keep reading my Bible, keep praying, keep going. I've got you. I'll finish this work. I started it. I'll complete it. Keep pressing in. And so for us, we have sort of these watering stations along the race. And, and communion for us it is a sort of a watering station for our souls in which God comes and hydrates and encourages us and reminds us that there is life and joy and peace and rest found in obedience to him. And so this morning, whether you find it difficult to keep going in obedience, to keep pursuing long, hopeful obedience, or maybe you're finding joy and treasure in that, either way, your hearts and my heart need to be watered by the Lord this morning. So as you're ready, as you're stirred, please come and be reminded that only God gives life only God can water our hearts and only God can keep our feet from slipping on the long, hopeful road to obedience. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have you to treasure and that you are worthy to be treasured. Would you give your people a sort of long, persevering view this walk of this life would you encourage them where they are would you water and nurture their souls in only the way that you can thank you for listening to this podcast from doxa church we are so glad that you took the time to join us today at Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.